You are listening to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. We shine a light on the topics that matter to digital and data leaders within the NHS. I'm Carrigan Thompson, and I help connect digital leaders with interim talent in the NHS, and I'm your host. The views expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official position or policy of their organisation. I just want to say thank you all for jumping on today. I'm really excited for this podcast based around the benefits of collaboration as an ICS. Um, I think it'd be good to get jumping straight in um, and introduce everybody. If we can start with you, please, Faye, just a little bit of introduction, who you are, what you do, that'd be great. Hi, everyone. My name's Faye Sefton and I'm a dig- digital project manager with expertise in communications and engagement. And I work for the Cheshire and Merseyside Integrated Care Systems Digital Programme, We're currently lead on communications and engagement for the projects and programmes within the digital programmes portfolio, alongside leading on the ICS's robotic process automation or RPA project, which is what I'm here to talk to you all about today in what will be my first ever podcast that I've ever taken part in. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, Faye. Um, If we can move on to you, please, Sharon. Hello everyone, so my name is Sharon Osterfield, I'm the Transformation Director for EA Team. Um, I've been involved in automation since 2020 uh, and I have spent most of my career in the NHS but have decided to work in collaboration now in this current role to share the love of automation with everybody. So lovely to meet you all. Perfect, thank you so much and coming over to you please Kerry. Hi everybody, I'm Kerry Morgan, uh, the Programme Manager for the Innovation Centre at Alder Hay and I'm very lucky to manage the Automation Solutions team as well. Lovely to meet you all. Thank you so much and finally but definitely not least, and you please Louise. Hi everyone, yeah Louise Wall, I'm the MD of the 18 Innovation, working really closely with the, the team here on the call. Um, been working right across the NHS looking at automation now for about two years and helping ICS level, but also individual trust level to deliver their programme. So yeah, really excited to share some of that uh, lessons learned and expertise um, today on the call. Thank you so much. And again, thank you all for jumping on for this today. And as I said, it's gonna be a really, really good one. So I think it's good to get stuck straight in. Um, And if we can come back to yourself, Faye, and if you could tell us a little bit about how the ICS RPA project came about. Yes, of course. So last year, my predecessor, Mandy, who was leading on the RPA project at the time, recognised that there was a need in our system to assist trusts in either implementing RPA or to further develop their automation capabilities to support recovery, resilience and transformation, better management of patients' demands and resource pressures, whilst also delivering short, medium and long-term efficiency savings at local system and regional levels. And she worked with trusts in our area to better understand their automation requirements and invited a range of automation suppliers to present what they could offer before a preferred supplier was collectively chosen and the ICS submitted a bid for unified tech funding for digital productivity to aid 10 of our trusts who were in a position to implement RPA or to build on their existing capabilities. And it was at this point in the project where the project was actually handed over to myself. And at the start of this year, 
the ICS managed to secure 2.3 million from the NHS Transformation Directorate to support the trust involved and to also help Alder Hay Children's NHS Foundation Trust to expedite setting themselves up as an RPA centre of excellence for the North. Amazing, thank you so much. I think Kerry, it's a nice point to come to yourself a little bit if you can go into a bit of detail of how does Alder Hay fit into the ICS plans? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've been working with the ICS since day one, as, as Faye said, um, and as the most advanced trust with RPA in the region, um, it seemed like a natural fit that we would become um, the centre of excellence for the region and, and try and support um, other trusts with their RPA programmes. So at the moment, we've, we're very lucky that we managed to um, secure a million pound funding, as um, Faye said, as part of the, the monies that the ICS secured. Um, so we're really busy at the moment trying to expand our team um, going out doing a lot of recruitment um, so that we can offer a bespoke service to trusts in the region and really help them to um, drive their RPA programmes forward. Um, and we're quite unique because we are based in the Innovation Centre and um, we've got a, an offering with, with other services too. So our automation service um, not only includes RPA, but also power apps um, and then the wider innovation team. Um, we do all kinds of projects that we could perhaps um, help the, the region with as well, which would be fantastic. Um, and we've been working really closely, um, not only with Faye, but with Louise and Sharon at E8 team as well. Thank you so much. Um, Louise, I think it's a nice opportunity to come to yourself. Um, if you could go into detail about have you got any advice about how to get started with automation and any recommendations about how to navigate the organisational sign off process? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is where people you know, tend to ask that question the most because it's like everyone really is understanding what automation can potentially do. But the, the biggest sort of question after that is, well, where do I start? Where do I begin? How do I get that stakeholder engagement? So I think the first things first is setting the right culture. So Sometimes when you talk about automation, people get quite nervous and they think that it's all about taking jobs out of the NHS, which which clearly it's not. That's not what we're here to do. Um, it's really about setting that that right expectation of these digital workers will be able to enhance people's um, jobs, be able to improve um, that sort of staff satisfaction and motivation, which in a recent survey was pretty low, to be fair. I think um, there's a lot of staff out there that have <coughs> hit that sort of burnout level because just the sheer amount of work that they're expected to do with the resources that they've got so we're here to be able to alleviate some of that so first things first is set the setting that right culture um stakeholder engagement is critical again demything all of the um people sometimes think it's a physical robot that's going to come and sit next to them which obviously clearly it's not um and the main thing for us really with this sort of initial stakeholder engagement part of it is to showcase examples of what's been done. So this technology is not new. Um, it's been used in the private sector for 20, 30, 40 years. Um, obviously, it's been enhanced over, over the years. Um, within the NHS, there's been pockets of use of it over about seven years. So again, not necessarily new, but certainly not mainstream. I feel certainly in the last six months, we're coming into that more mainstream conversation. So, so many examples of what's been done before it's really important to be able to share and showcase that. So for us, it's about linking the right people <coughs> that have used it in certain departments with other NHS organisations. So it's just that that whole network and community is more important to us than that 
the actual technology because the technology will evolve and change over time but it's about having that community and you know it's a testament of the call that we've got today the time that we've spent working with um the ics so i mean after the stakeholder initial engagements we go into the sort of the, the nitty-gritty what does this look like at a departmental level um what are the examples in hr for example what are the examples from a clinical point of view um again you've got to make it realistic you've got to make it relevant so if you want to call with a community on mental health trust don't start talking about big epics and uh, epr systems you've got to make it really relevant to the organization um, and we've had so much recently about primary care as well so again make it quite <clears throat> relevant to the type of organization so the other thing I would sort of urge in terms of the caution again is the business case process. So looking at let's not make a business case just a financial driven business case. It need, certainly needs to be an all round business case. Yes, financial is obviously always going to be important, but what are the operational benefits of, of doing this kind of programme, but also the staff health and well-being, because actually that gives you a really good all round business case. So we support with that. Um, Yes, the return on investment is really important for the finance directors, and we always take, tick that box. There's some big ticket processes out there that I think we did one recently in the region, actually, Faye, um, where we had one process that pays for the platform. So anything over and above that is just pure benefit back to the trust. So um, <clears throat> it's just looking at that. Yes, we've got to tick a box financially, but actually let's look at this as a bigger picture. And then I suppose the other bit of advice that I've got having been through this process now with about 50 organizations is you have to really have somebody on the board as your SRO. Um, you need that senior stakeholder support because as much as it's a good idea from the ground up, um, it won't get signed off unless you've got that sort of board level um, endorsement of it. So, which to be fair, hasn't been that difficult to get because of course, when you show the benefits, you've got a lot of um, organizations out there saying, look, basically when can I have it not do I want it <laughs> so yeah there's a process to go through you can't jump stages you've got to take people on that journey there's a definite maturity curve within the region um Kerry and the team at Alderhe are the most advanced as, we, as we've said but we've got people still that we're talking to that you're you're right back at the 101 what is RPA what can it do for you you cannot jump them to the to the end too quickly so just say take the time take the time to get everybody on board, take the time to do, write the business case, align it to the NHS um, national objectives and the ICS objectives. And then really it should sail through, she says. So yeah, they're just my little tidbits of uh, that engagement process. Amazing, thank you. Um, I know you went into a, a bit of detail around the benefits and things like that that it can bring. Um, if I can circle back to you as well again, Faye, if you can just tell me a little bit about what you think the benefits of taking an ICS-led approach are? Yeah, so I think that taking a joined-up approach is really important. And for me, an ICS-led approach not only helps to coordinate how things are implemented at a local level, but it also supports the ICS to drive and lead transformation at a system level too. And there's a number of benefits that that, that can bring. For example, we managed to agree an ICS leveraged pricing structure with our partners at the 18, which the unified tech funding bid that we submitted last year was based around. And this has been particularly beneficial to us as the second largest ICS in England. 
as it enables smaller or more financially challenged ICS members within our footprint to purchase an RPA platform at a lower cost of entry, with the system also benef benefiting from um, those economies of scale. And additionally, I think ha having collectively chosen a preferred automation supplier that's based around our automation needs has also helped to reduce variation across the ICS and to drive collaboration and knowledge sharing between our organisations. And this also opens up the possibility for automation to be used to support services or pathways that operate across a number of organisations, which I think is a, a, a really exciting prospect. Um, and, and the other thing that I, I'd, I'd like to touch on that Louise was saying is about just how important the partnerships we've developed have been because they've been really instrumental in driving our RPA project forward and our partners all form part of what I call my RPA A team as, as this highlights how the project wouldn't be where it is now without all of their support. So firstly, our partners at Blue Prism and E18 have supported us as an ICS in setting up a number of sessions throughout the year to really help to drive collaboration and knowledge sharing. And that's included RPA Steps to Success sessions based around the seven foundations that Blue Prism identified as being essential to a successful RPA rollout to help our trusts to maximise their investment and make best use of the extensive resources that are available to them, as well as RPA focus sessions that enable our organisations to get a better understanding of the different ways that automation is being used in various health and care settings across the country and of the associated results to support them in thinking about the art of the possible and of processes that they might want to automate in the future. And secondly, we've also partnered with the Royal Free London NHS Foundation Trust, an RPA centre of excellence that has a digital exchange that we've been able to access that holds a catalogue of over 200 automations developed by the team, which NHS trusts are able to utilise, collaborate with and share free of charge to save them valuable time and money. And thirdly, it goes without saying, but it's important to also note the partnerships that we have with our ICS member organisations and the teams within them who've supported me since I took on the project and, and my growing vision for it also. Amazing, thank you. I'd love to come over to you, please, Louise. Yeah, I just want to pick up on the sort of the ICS approach that Faith's um, spoken about, because I think it's a relatively new um, way of working in terms of it's only just legally been form, formulated as an organisation but because we knew that this was the journey that they were going to go on over the last sort of 12 to 18 months we managed to just put in place that model as if they were already a legal entity in terms of the commercial benefits of working as one as they said the economies of scale and out of all of the ICSs that we work with, I would say Cheshire and Merseyside is the most advanced in terms of working together, which is really fantastic. And only, I suppose, recently, Faye, the last two or three months, the conversations at a system level have been really accelerating. So we've been working hard at an individual level, but actually now we're starting to, you know, link up people that have got the same EPR system or we're linking up um, the cancer network. We're linking up the adult um, mental health referral pathway. So these are the kind of things that, 
will come out over time. This is not something that is is sort of we 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 don't know what's going to come out next, really. So this is um, the power of the ICS approach is is incredibly powerful, and I just think the work that Faye and the team have done and Kerry to pull that together, and now Kerry obviously with Alderhay setting up that centre of excellence, that is the model really that each ICS should be working towards. Um, it's not always going to be easy to try and standardise processes. Um, but what I would say in terms of advice is don't worry about that too much early on. Let's just get everybody on the same platform, everybody starting to think together as one. And then over time, you'll be able to merge um, processes and, and streamline. But it's just that little steps taking you on that sort of journey of that uh, ICS success. Yeah, absolutely. I'd just um, add to that a little bit as well, Carrigan, um, that it's we're not in competition with each other. You know, as an ICS, we very much want to support each other to to have um, automation working as effectively as possible in each of the organisations. So um, we're always happy and, and have been chatting with the different trusts um, to kind of explain the art of the possible, um, particularly for those that are quite new to RPA. Um, and I think another good thing for, for us being um, like the regional centre of excellence is um, if we can offer that service and, and provide other trusts with RPA, um, the, the RPA developers are actually quite a scarce resource at the moment. Um, so what we don't want is kind of 18 organisations in an ICS vying for the same developers and, and not being able to deliver. Um, because that doesn't help anybody um, in the ICS. So I think it's um, useful to have kind of a, a regional hub where you've got the developers um, based who can then support each of the organisations rather than all um, competing against each other. It's it's much better to collaborate. Yeah, I just want to touch on uh, this wonderful conversation. We've talked a lot about collaboration and what I wanted to touch on uh, in line with collaboration is, of course, the, the sharing of the best practice, which really, when you look at it, comes down to all of the benefits realisation by each project. So, um, you know, we're working across the ICS level and Louise has already mentioned that there's a lot going on in primary care at the moment and mental health. But realistically, when you're looking at these projects and wanting to share uh, and collaborate with other organisations, both within the ICS at Cheshire and Merseyside and much wider, it comes down to, OK, what has worked well and where? And so fundamentally to that is, is how do we as organisations and as project delivery teams and EA team help organisations to benefits track? And Louise had mentioned at the beginning of the podcast around, um, you know, the financial metric. We're fairly used to hearing, aren't we, across the system, um, return on time saved. And then that equates to a financial metric. And then everyone kind of worries that maybe that equates to job losses, et cetera. But actually, uh, we need to align that more strategically. And as we're looking at the maturity of RPA and automation across the NHS space it, and the conversations that we're having with clients, and I'm sure Faye and Kerry can echo this, is actually what's going on strategically within your organisation um, and how can you align your RPA programme to do that? Because, you know, cash release savings are one thing, but actually clinical risk associated with service delivery, uh, you know, your workforce, Faye had mentioned it um, earlier, what's going on with them? Everyone's feeling a bit burnt out, as Louise had said, from COVID. How can we use automation to improve the productivity and efficiency and align it back? So, for example, um, risk reporting, uh, clinical incidents, you know, if staff member, if it's a report found that staff member didn't do X because of Y, 
actually, can we automate by releasing that staff member to do X? So when we're looking at building the business case and we're looking at maturity of our RPA programs across our organisations, how can we strategically align it? And of course, in demonstrating that, as Louise has mentioned, around having an SRO, that SRO might not necessarily be the finance director, it might be the director of quality or the director of nursing. And actually, therefore, being able to show that our automation programme has much far wider reaching benefits uh, in terms of operational delivery, clinical safety, um, workforce implications. And I think that's really important to share. So as a collaborative ICS model, we're identifying proof of concept at organisational level, tracking a variety of metrics, just not financially, and then being able to demonstrate the return on investment from all of that, which gives such a rich um, understanding of information at ICS level and then nationally, because as Louise has mentioned, and, and all to Hayward, their centre of excellence, uh, I'm working with the Royal Free, we've got networks of, of uh, people and uh, different stages of maturity around the whole uh, of England that are looking and asking, well, you know, what's the return on investment for this? And you have to go, well, it's great. It might only give you a small return on financial investment, but actually uh, the impact on your clinical safety metric is huge. And then, of course, being able to demonstrate that proof of concept through that then allows your strategic direction of your organisation to uh, provide better resource allocation. So then you can develop further automations. And I think it's really clear that we or we need to be really clear that, you know, with the unified tech funding, there was a sum of money. Um, and that's great. But actually, you want to progress and you want to develop that maturity curve. You want to uh, you know, further create more complex processes. And to do that, we need to track those benefits at multiple levels to be able to show that we need that resource allocation and that investment. And that then filters into trust overall strategy or overall ICS strategy. Because at the moment, what we're seeing is a number of organisations um, have got it, but not many are building into their um, their overarching strategy. And we absolutely need that SRO to be bought in. And we can only do that through benefits tracking. Um, yeah, Louise and everyone's touched very eloquently on community. So one of the things that we're looking at is uh, communities of um, yeah, EPR systems. There are a number of trusts that are going through uh, switching of you know, old PaaS systems to EPR systems, what is already automated within those systems, what then can RPA uh, do to enhance that, and then uh, working alongside innovation centres like Kerry Centre of Excellence with PowerApps, actually from an E18 perspective and from a collaborative perspective, what else can we encourage trusts to look at to support their automation journey? Again, that comes down to supporting them with benefits tracking and realisation. So I just wanted to touch on that in a bit more detail. Um, and we do work, uh, you know, with, with NHSE and the Unified Tech Fund around things like benchmarking. So again, from that collaborative perspective, and also I think it's really key to mention, I'm sorry I'm going on a little bit, but lessons learned, because not every automation idea is gonna work. And even when it is automated, it might not track the benefits that you want to. And so actually, how do we uh, understand where we not necessarily failed, but use that as a learning exercise, again, to share at a collaborative ICS level and then nationally that said, actually, you know, we tried that. That's great quality improvement work. It's not just looking at that thinking I invested time and effort into that. It didn't quite work the way I wanted it. OK, it didn't quite work the way you wanted it. But can we pivot that and change that methodology to give something that will deliver on the benefits that you're going to track? So I just wanted to touch on on some of those key factors as well.
Perfect. Thank you, Faye. I saw your, your hand go up on that bit then for me. Yeah, so I just wanted to build on what Sharon has said. I think it is really important to look at what is being done locally and how we can build on that across the system. So to, to illustrate that, um, locally Alder Hay used RPA to automate the processing of GP referrals received via the e-referral service to Meditech and that helped the trusts to reduce the risk of delays in triaging routine referrals. It helped them to maintain the two-day turnaround times for logging referrals and it also improved efficiency by saving them over 200 hours per month. And you can imagine the impact of that if you were to scale it up. So, for example, one of our ICS's strategic objectives is around tackling unequal outcomes and access. And one of the ways they want to do that is by improving waiting times for children and adult mental health services. Something that if all mental health trusts in Cheshire and Merseyside had, for example, implemented RPA platforms could be achieved if they use digital workers and, and those workers could potentially be fully funded or part funded by the ICS to help automate mental health referrals received via online referral systems. So in that example, you're not only tackling some of the local um, trusts and organisations strategic objectives but you're also thinking a level up from that in how do we help to also at the same time tackle some of the ICS's and our systems strategic objectives. I think I just want to open that little point up to anybody else to see if anybody had any any further points to come in with that one for us. Yeah, just like like to add, you know, I think I think a lot of people just talk about saving hours um, when when they talk about um, RPA, and you know that's fantastic that you you can save hours. But um, like like Sharon and Faye and Louise have all touched on, it's really important to do um, kind of the softer metrics too, and the, the quality measures. So um, we've definitely found that um, you know we're working with really busy teams when you're automating, and they're under a lot of pressure. So it's really great that we can help um, support them with maintaining any of their KPIs that they've got um, around the, the admin processes. Um, but it's also, um, we found that we've helped reduce risks on the trust risk register. Um, and, and also, you know, we have improved um, staff experience um, and we've even improved um, things like, you know, the, the accuracy of the patient records um, by being able to, to do some automation on it. Um, we've got a, a piece of work that we're really excited about at the moment, which um, we've got a data science team uh, in the Innovation Centre and they're doing some um, natural language processing um, on the waiting list. And then when that's been um, undertaken, we'll be able to put an, an RPA um, on the back of that to um, help improve the accuracy of the patient record. So um, it's really exciting to see um, what you can do with RPA. Um, and it's not all just about hours saved. Um, and it's it's not all, you know, money, money saving metrics as well. Um, but it, it's it's really exciting to see what what the art of the possible is. You know, we've only been going around 18 months with RPA um, and we're touching in some some really great um, areas. Um, Faye's obviously mentioned mental health. Um, we've got a mental health platform um, that's used um, by 
um, patients and, and their families and, and other healthcare settings and they can access information on mental health, but they can also do a self-referral. Um, we've automated um, the processing of those referrals um, and we've also automated the appointment booking uh, for children with eating disorders. And that again has had a real impact on patients because um, what we do is we offer an appointment via text message and then they can accept that or, or reject it. But it just means that that saves a busy parent having to ring up our service multiple times to book in an appointment for a child that they're worried about. Um, so if we can do more of that, that will be absolutely fantastic. Um, but just wanted to share a bit of um, the possibilities for benefits that aren't just hours, hours, hours. Um, and just to reassure people, we haven't cut any staff um, by, by doing RPA. Um, I like to think that the teams think of um, the bots as a virtual colleague rather than um, the enemy. And thank you for sharing that, Kerry. It's really, really insightful. Um, I did see that you, you raised your hand a little bit throughout that, Sharon. Yeah, and I just want to touch really at just expanding, I guess, a bit on what Kerry was saying, but also just bringing in the clinical clinician aspect of it. So, you know, if you talk to a clinician and you say it's all about money saved and hours saved, that completely switches them off. But as organisations, as you're looking towards your automation journey, and we're seeing particularly from primary care with a lot of engagement from GPs, but as we look towards the, uh, the maturity in secondary care, acute care and, and mental health, bringing those clinicians on board, once they understand what automation can do, they get incredibly excited and they want they honestly they want the world from it don't they they want uh they want automation of their clinical audit because as Kerry's already mentioned with the piece of work around the natural language processing you know we I did a piece of work in my former trust around uh clinical audit and reviewing clinical notes um and it just led on to oh I can do this in hepatology I can do this I can do that and actually once you start getting them involved that's when some really exciting transformation happens as well and you can really look to uh, service uh, productivity efficiency and just uh, expanding that capability so uh, again that comes back to benefits tracking and as Kerry said and as we've all said not just looking at financial metrics especially if you want clinical teams to be involved in proper service transformation uh, and quality improvement work so I just wanted to touch on that bit thank you thank you very much and um, Louise I saw your hand go up on that point as well I think this just comes back to my earlier point about sharing this across other NHS organisations. So we've had lots of conversations now about the the as one platform that we supported Alder Hay with back in the day a year or so ago. And, and we can take that then to other conversations that we're having that obviously start out as automation, but actually bringing Sharon in as the transformation director, it's, it's that end to end, it's that best of breed ecosystem of technology that that delivers that outcome. And actually, if we're doing something really fantastic up in Cheshire Merseyside, we, we definitely should be talking about that across other ICSs. And that's already starting to get that traction. And, you know, it, this, for us, this isn't, we don't go in talking about automation. We, we go in talking about what are the outcomes that you want to achieve? What are your current problems? And automation sometimes isn't the, the answer. Um, and, and sometimes it is, but, you know, we go in and say, look, let, let's work with you to, to come up with what is the best solution out there. And it's 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 that kind of relationship with innovation centres that is going to get that adoption of innovation technology into the system a lot faster. So that's the role we play. We sort of bring in, bring in those ideas and spreading that, um, the, the love across the NHS, as, as we say. Thank you so much. I think 
just uh, before we go on to one of the other questions that we had in place, I know we've spoken a couple of times before about obviously Cheshire and Merseyside, they've got a lot going on. What do you think it is that's working so well in terms of the collaboration and, and things moving forward a bit more for them? What do you think it is that's, that's putting that in place, so to speak? I, so I think a lot of what is working is that we've got people who are really passionate about making a difference through the use of digital tech um, to, to help benefit our, our workforces and also the patients that we serve. Um, so I think there's, there's definitely clear passion throughout the region. Um, I think collaboration is also key. Um, where you know we, we all work together and and everybody has a part to play um you know as an ICS we're not coming in and saying this needs to be done this way or everybody has um all of the trusts have their own autonomy um and we're just taking a, a coordination role in trying to do the best that we can to support the trusts and helping them to implement RPA and and to um to, to help them towards you know successful RPA rollout um and to support them in thinking about the art of what is possible with automation so that they start to think about the next processes that they want to automate um so I, I think the, the, the those are the key things for me but um everybody else might have their own thoughts too yeah, we can come to you please louise yeah so we work across lots of different icss and i think i said at the beginning i would say cheshire merseyside are our most mature in terms of the automation journey um for me it's it's that clear leadership it's that clear vision from an ics level the fact that Faye is a dedicated resource to this particular program makes a massive difference the amount of coordination and communication that Faye has to do um is incredible and i think if we just let it naturally evolve it would it would eventually get there but it would be a lot lot slower so just having that sort of central person that is is bringing everyone together sharing the knowledge sharing the best practice you know communicating out what other trusts are doing is, is for me compared to other ics's that's a big tick in the box I'd probably just add as well. There's a there's a willingness across the trusts as well, isn't there, to work together? You know, we're not we're not looking at each other as competition. You know, we're trying to see, oh, what have you done with that? That's really good that we can also use. And I think that's really important, um, not to be kind of secretive about what you're doing and not want to share. Um, so I definitely think the willingness is there across the ICS, which is brilliant. Perfect. Thank you so much. Um, I think what would be nice to move on to is kind of looking as to what's to come. Um, Faye, if you can kind of tell us a little bit of where you think the project will be in the next few months. Yeah, so I'm unbelievably excited about where the project will be in the next few months as the trusts involved in what we're now referring to as phase one of the project are in the process of completing the setup of the RPA platforms. So the next stage for them will be putting the first batch of automation processes that they've developed onto each digital worker. And it's once these are live that we'll be able to start capturing and tracking the benefits that they're helping to deliver both locally and across the system, as Sharon said earlier. And we've also had interest from five of the seven remaining trusts in our region who are interested in implementing RPA 
and we're exploring a proof of concept pilot, as Louise said before, for our primary care services that, if proven, will be scaled up across the ICS. And additionally, I know we've touched on this throughout throughout the podcast, but we're having com- conversations about how our improving access to psychological therapies or IAP services across the system could use automation to support back-end admin and patient and patient referrals. Um, as well as about the benefits that automation could bring to support our cancer services. And all of that is is really building support for us to embark now on a phase two of the project, which I'm really, really passionate about taking forward because I can already see the multitude of benefits it could deliver, not just for our health and care workforce across Cheshire and Merseyside, but also for the population of 2.7 million people that we serve. Amazing. Yeah, really, really exciting. I think there's there's so much that's going on and so much to come and everything like that. I thought it'd be just good to, to as we're coming towards the end, just to open up to see if there's anything else anybody wants to add, anything else exciting going on. If we can come to you, Louise. I think, like Faye said, we're incredibly excited about the phase two. Um, and I'm I'm focusing on a lot of my time on that. But I think it's really important to not forget about the success of phase one. So Sharon's very much that's Sharon's role within E18 is to that customer success for us is everything. It's not about just putting the technology in and, and walking away and hoping that everything you know works well and we'll come back at the end of the contract. Um, we're, we're, we're part of the team. We're an extension and it's about we, we need every single engagement to be successful. And if they're not, and they're starting to go off track, we want Sharon to be advising, you know, we're not dictating the, the route that people go down, but we're very much saying, look, have you really thought about this? You know, why don't you have a look at trying it a slightly different way? This is what somebody else has done down south, for example. Um, we're there to, to make sure that phase one is 100% successful and build on that. So as much as I'm putting quite a lot of time and effort into phase two, it's it's, you know, you can't forget People are still on the early days on their journey and and really actually an interesting conversation we had the other day. I won't know, name who it was with, but they were very much thinking, well, we're not expecting results really until year three, which for me is, you know, coming from the commercial world, I was like, no, come on, we need some, we need to show some early, early results, even if it's, you know, some of the smaller processes that are in and we've got that stakeholder engagement and everyone, you know, supportive of the actual programme. For me, within the first six months, first nine months, we need to be showing something in terms of giving that back. So uh, Sharon's working really hard on an individual trust basis to make sure we're feeding that up into phase um, programme reports and that we can actually show that it's all moving forward in the right direction. But yeah, some will be slower than others, but um, so far so good and everyone's really, really engaged. Absolutely, just to say as well, from Older Hayes perspective, you know, we're really, really excited to get going as a, as a regional um, centre of excellence and um, desperate to fill all of these roles that we've got out um, to advert at the moment so that we can just kind of get cracking and, and start helping um, some of the trusts in the, the rest of the region um, so that they can really see um, how they can really improve their automation. You know, it will be really exciting and I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing 12 months time how far we've come um, because, you know, like I said, we, we only started our RPA service 18 months ago. Um, we, we saved, we've saved over 4,000 hours, improved patient records, had lots of other quality benefits. 
um, you know, won a couple of awards and now setting up on a, a centre of excellence. So really, really excited to see what can happen in 12 months when we've got um, a full workforce ready to, to go and, and help everybody with their RPA journeys. 100% definitely exciting and definitely um, a point for another podcast when that time comes as well. We'll, we'll rejoin and see how things are going. <laughs> um, but no, it's, I just wanted just to make sure any final points um, from yourself, Sharon, or again, yourself, Louise, Faye, um, Kerry, just to see if there's any final points as we come towards the end of the podcast again. I just had one to add to Kerry's sort of, this is the vision and the journey going forward. For us, this next phase as well is about encouraging people to be interested in automation so I'm sure we all can admit before we all started we thought it was a really techie area and you know there's a, it's a lot male dominated within IT and finance and that sort of process optimization but actually it's not we've got a lot of people a lot of analysts a lot of engagement from um, females out there as well that actually you know I'm not overly technical but I'm, I'm very logical and I'm very passionate about you know the outcomes and making a difference it's about encouraging other people to think and say, do you know what? I'm going to have a look at this as as, as a new, maybe a new skill set, new job role. Um, and I know Kerry's got lots of exciting opportunities for people. But yeah, that's just one thing I'd like to leave people with: is don't be scared that it's a big techie project that you you, you wouldn't potentially understand. Actually, it's quite it's quite easy to get involved. And in. you know, as soon as you get involved with it, the passion comes out, and you can see the the benefits. So yeah, just opening that out really to a wider audience. Absolutely, and I'm not sure when this podcast goes out, Carrigan, uh, but if it's before the 4th of August, um, I'll be at the Careers Fair in Liverpool. So um, if anybody is interested in a career in, in innovation and, and automation, um, please come and see me at the stall. I'll be happy to, to have a chat with you. We'll get it out before the 4th. <laughs> and we can go yeah. over to you, please, right? Yeah, so I just wanted to kind of to thank everybody, you know, the team at Alder Hay, our other ICS members who are involved in the project, our amazing partners at E18 and Blue Prism, who are an extension of our team and who are, you know, all of those people and as well, you know, partners at the Royal Free um, in London as well. They are all part of our A-team and the project would not be where it is today without each and every one of those partners. So just thank you for your ongoing support and um, collaborating with us and um, you sharing knowledge and, and helping to drive the, the project forward. It's, it's very much appreciated. Thank you so much. I think that's a really, a really nice place to, to end and everything. Um, it's been what I think such a wonderful conversation hearing things obviously normally don't get spoken about obviously there's a lot of background work going on so it's nice to be able to to come on and share the challenges insights the things that we're looking forward to in the future and things like that um so I want to say thank you for taking the time to come onto the podcast today and sharing that experience with us and I do think it's really going to benefit everyone in the wider audience that does listen to this podcast so again thank you all for jumping onto this as well it's been it's been a pleasure um and I'm excited to get this one out there. So I just wanted to say thank you for that.